FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 382 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason, bathrobes in space, Venable, and we have the triumphant return for your flashback mutant milestone, Cameron, Doctor of Magnetism Sinclair. Hey! Hello! <laughs> hey, welcome back. Thanks. It's been a it's been a hot minute since Cameron's been on the flashback episode, but we picked a doozy. <laughs> right, I fell in a hole for a long time, but I'm back. That's right. Uh, so we're gonna talk about uh, finally. And Pat Pat is like, Pat's been sitting on this for a long time. So when are these guys gonna freaking do these comics? Um, the 1991 launch of X Men number one. No adjective, just X-Men. First issue, a legend reborn, a mutant milestone, um, all that stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff happens here, like kind of behind the scenes, you know, kind of the, the switch in creative kind of direction to, to mostly all Jim Lee. Um, you know, we'll talk about when we get to the third issue, you know, it's the end of the official end of the Claremont run. Um, a lot of, a lot of big stuff, costume redesigns, you know, a lot of, a lot of really big stuff, but man, it's, uh, it was a big time. So you remember, you remember when this happened, Cameron? Oh yeah. <clears throat> this was a huge deal. It was, you know, it's just still, there's some caveats because of manga, <laughs> but um, this is still the, the biggest selling single issue in American comics like, to this day. Um, just just north of eight million issues that it sold. Um, well, they had four different covers, so I guess that. Yeah, right. So <laughs> well, they actually had let's see, five different covers if you count the one. You can get the extra priced edition uh, yeah. that folded out to the big poster. That's um, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So we'll talk about like which covers you remember, or if you have any specific memories of that. But um, yeah, a big big deal. Um, and we'll talk about we're gonna have a a little bit of bonus coverage. Um, uh, you know, next episode. But um. This relaunch, like across the line, X Men kind of started. Like took a took a refresh. Um, you know, Uncanny gets a new team, new creative team that kind of spins out of this. Uh, we have the launch of X Force. X Factor gets a new team. Excalibur has the return of Alan Davis, uh, which is kind of a big deal for fans of that book. Um, I don't. I don't remember that one as a kid. I mean, it, it's a little bit more important to me now <laughs> going through my my flashback read through. But, but I remember very, very extensively um, X Men, Uncanny X Force, and while I wasn't quite ready to get into X Factor as a teenager, 
like knowing now that like that's Peter David taking over. I mean, it's, it's I I understand like the zeitgeist of all this. Um, now I remember this is kind of what propelled me to start going to the comic shop. Like, cause we we had started going pretty regularly. You know, getting Punisher, getting a little bit of Uncanny X Men. This is kind of what kicked off. Like, okay, I'm going every week with my allowance money now. Yeah. Um, I think this is the. I don't know if this issue alone necessarily, but but this is definitely the era, and this issue is a big part of it that I think propelled me to go all in on X Men. You know, right. up to this point, X Men was one of the things I liked. Among you know, because like you said, Punisher, Spider Man, we were getting some of that already by this point. Right, were the things that were interesting, but this is where like my whole comics world was like, okay, I care about X Men, and then. A few other things too, right? <laughs> what I care about when it comes to comic books. Yeah, yep. It definitely, uh, <clears throat> definitely recentered them. Um, so I don't know if you've had a chance to watch or, or listeners, if you listened to my episode, um, you know, the Chris Claremont documentary kind of talks about how this is also the book that kind of shoves him out a little bit. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, I guess a little, maybe a little bit somber as we go through kind of the issues, but, um, I meant to watch that before we watched the documentary. I meant to watch that before we did this. Right. I forgot. Yeah. You know, there's only so much time. Right. But, um, yeah, yeah I mean, definitely, uh, the editor, I think at this point, um, this one's edited by, yeah, Bob Harris is the editor of the X books. And, you know, he was definitely giving his priority to the artists because he felt like they were selling the books. And so when it came to a point that Claremont and we started having disagreements on what should happen in plot specifics, um, you know, Lee, Lee was given the authority to kind of win those fights, which kind of, you know, unceremoniously uh, showed Claremont the door. I mean, it was his own, like, decision, right? Well, well I guess it depends on who you ask. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, that was definitely kind of, he didn't really want to do what Jim Lee wanted to do. And so he saw the writing on the wall, and, and, and this is this is the end. But I think, fittingly, I, when we get to issue three, we can talk more about it. But I think I think he goes out really well, whether he was happy or not. He definitely poured his last little bit of love into this story. Um, yeah, and and of course, Jim. I mean, this is this is primo, like prime time, at his peak, Jim Lee. Um, so you have that, you know, aspect as well. Um, so yeah, so we have this giant, massive gatefold cover. This this four big images, and I think it's impressive on several levels. Um, I was going to ask you, do you remember which one or ones you you bought? Did you did you try to find all of them? Did you just have a certain one? Was there one that you thought was better than the others? Like, what was your, what's your memory or thoughts? Do you remember anything? I remember, I don't remember which individual ones I got. I believe, I believe I had the Meg. The Magneto one. I definitely had the the Cyclops and Wolverine one. Uh huh. Um, I I may have had all. I I also got the one with the fold out that had all of them. I remember have, getting that. I saw have that. Okay. Um, 
but I don't remember if I had all four, the other four individually or not, but, but I did get the fold out one. I remember tracking that down at some point. Um, I mean, my favorite one, not to be uh, the obvious answer, I think is the, the Wolverine one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the one I bought originally. Um, yeah. Like when I bought it off the shelf, I think we, I think, I think at that point, I bought this still at Awesome. I think it was before I started going to the shop that I rode my bike to. Um, but yeah, so I remember they had all of them, and I, I picked the, uh, the Cyclops and Wolverine one, which is pretty awesome. And of course, features Cyclops in his brand new Jim Lee costume, which is the famous 90s one that goes to the cartoon and all that. Um, right. I did eventually go back like you and get the fold out. Um, I think now my favorite is probably the Magneto, just because Jim Lee's Magneto is, and this would be a common theme, I'll probably say this several times, but his Magneto is so badass looking. Um, you know, he's a little more svelte, I guess, than maybe we're used to, but, you know, he's, I don't know, he just he looks so great. Um, well, this is the era where a lot of these guys pump all of the comic book characters full of steroids in the 90s. Yes, right, right. Especially like Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, all these guys, they, they, everyone is like super, super ripped all the time. Right, yeah, yeah. Like Cyclops, he may, his nickname may still be Swim. <laughs> but when you look at this cover, Swim's been hitting the gym. I mean, right. pretty, pretty good. Um, yeah, and then of course you have the one, probably the least glamorous one but it's still pretty great art would be the and I think probably because there's no focal point so like on the Magneto one obviously it's just Magneto right Right. Uh, Cyclops and Wolverine Iceman's on the cover but he's like in the background but it's definitely like a Cyclops and Wolverine cover right and even the last one that has Beast, Storm, Jean Grey and Archangel like Oh, and Professor X <laughs> back yep. in the background. Right. Uh, Beast is very much like jumping out at you. So I think the middle one with uh, Colossus, Rogue, Gambit, and Psylocke is the one that's kind of the most like there's no real like focal energy. It's just kind of four guys being there. <laughs> yeah, I think for uh, that one too, it's because that one, there's no action or not. No, but there's much less action. All the yes. other three there, there's a lot happening. There's movement, there's action. Whereas that one, it's just like a poster of four people. I mean, they're just kind right. of there. And I, it's an interesting. It's interesting, especially in the context of how much is going on, especially if you're looking at, I'm looking at the, on the app, I'm looking at the full screen of all four of them, you know, mm-hmm. There's so much going on and it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird spot in there where it's like, Oh yeah, let's stick these other four people in there too. Right. Yep. But nobody's doing anything. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. Um, so North worth pointing out, you know, if, if you were to see this cover first, you would get a sneak peek at several new costumes. Uh, we already mentioned Cyclops rogue gets a redesign, Storm and Jean Grey get a redesign. Uh, and then, of course, Professor X gets the the famous uh, 90s wheelchair. But this is the first time that the floating wheelchair thing kind of shows up. So, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of big stuff. I think also one thing I never really thought of as a kid, maybe I should have, but especially looking at the image whole, 
I get really focuses on how badass Magneto is because it's him versus all the X Men. Right. Like, <laughs> and yeah. and and holding his own, he's got the big magnetic bubble. Cyclops can't blast through it. Um, yeah. You know, it's just it just really focuses on just how powerful he is. Um, it's yeah, it's a it's a it's a really striking image, and I'm sure. I'm probably glad I didn't find the Fallout one until later because I probably would have ripped the cover up and stuck it in my wall. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, it's it's really cool. So I mean, obviously a big deal, big transition. X Men was the the hot thing going, and this just took something that was really popular and propelled it into the stratosphere. Um, you know, largely on, you know. Building on a long, long success of Claremont, you know, building the X-Men into a, the kind of super book that they were, and then kind of propelling on Jim Lee's shoulders, like, to the next level as far as popularity. Um, you know, I think, I think I'm going to come down on the fact that it's going to be, I'm going to kind of say it's too bad that these two guys couldn't get along a little better, because... I think this book kicks off with a, a great opening arc, and let's let's kind of get into that, right? Yeah. Um, so issue one, I'll give kind of my snazzy long synopsis because this is a long book. Now I'll make it as brief as I can. Um, <laughs> so American Space Force uh, <laughs> pursues a, a shuttle hijacked by mutants seeking asylum with Magneto on asteroid M. They find him. He destroys the shuttles in subspace over Russia, causing them to invoke the Magneto protocols. Dun dun dun. Uh, back on Earth, the X Men are having a training exercise while Xavier ponders his vision with Jean Grey. Um, Iceman is less than missiles, which are less than rogue. Uh, Archangel drops Colossus through the roof to quote unquote capture Xavier. But Gene protects him with a, sci- a TK blast. Uh, Wolverine, Gambit, and Psylocke try to sneak into the mansion through the sewers, but are attacked by robots. As uh, Wolverine and Psylocke dismantle them, Gambit sneaks inside and takes out Gene. Unfortunately, as he tries to steal an unconsensual kiss, Robo-Gene blows up in his face. Tricked! As Cyclops and Beast congratulate themselves on protecting Xavier in the, I don't know, office, control room, Wolverine slices his way up through the floor. He tracked uh, Xavier with his scent powers and tags him with a snicked, which uh, gets real touchy with Cyclops because it's a little too close for comfort. Um Then Wolverine blows him off as the X-Men all complain about having to do too much training. (laughs) Uh, Later, Fury briefs the X-Men on the Magneto situation. Uh, Meanwhile, on Asteroid M, the space survivors are greeted by sexy Magneto in a nice bathrobe-slash-smoking jacket um, before a soldier tries to kill one of the mutants. After punishing the soldier, Fabian Cortez suggests that Magneto needs to repair for quote-unquote flat-scan retaliation. Back at Xavier's, the X-Men are officially split into blue and gold teams, led by Cyclops and Storm, respectively, which is, you know, a concept that that X-Men fans that grew up in the 90s will hold very near and dear to their hearts. 
Blue is going to be Cyclops, Wolverine, Gambit, Beast, Rogue, and Psylocke. Uh, gold will be the rest. I guess I didn't list them in my notes. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but it's going to be uh, the other six guys. Um, I'm off my head. Uh, we'll say Storm, Gene, Colossus, uh, Angel, Iceman, and who am I leaving out? Um, the Forge and Banshee are like the home base protectors. Yeah, okay. on a team. I guess there's only only five on that. Okay, all right, cool. Um, I'm gonna go to uh, issue three and see because I think it has them all lined up. Oh yes, it will. Yeah, it will. Um, anyway, the blue team catch up to Magneto as he raises the sunken Leningrad from back earlier in Claremont's run and uh, takes his nukes for self-defense, which obviously riles everybody up because, oh, the master of magnetism has nuclear bombs. Um, The X-Men jump into attack mode, including a near-berserk Wolverine taking a slice out of Magneto's chest armor. Uh, Cyclops blasts Magneto away to safety, but that, of course, is misinterpreted as a hostility. Uh, the blast does knock him into the sub, though, where he is confronted with the brutality and inhumanity of his act by the soldier's remains in the submarine. Um, Magneto flees with the missiles with the X-Men in pursuit, but Rogue flies ahead to actually try to talk to him. Unfortunately, the debate takes them into Russian airspace, where they are attacked by fighter jets, and Rogue is injured. Wrapping her in a protective magnetic field, Magneto detonates one of the nukes and escapes. Back on the asteroid, Magneto tends to his wounds, physical and emotional, as the um, more radical Cortez, who at this point we believe has healing powers, begins to try um, to kind of manipulate Magneto by pushing him into conflict. Uh, Rogue wakes up in Genosha, of all places, where Cortez and his uh, soon-to-be-named acolytes are attacking the country in general. (laughs) Um, The X-Men show up to join the party uh, where they get the upper hand until Magneto also shows up. He does not approve of Cortez's mission, but he says, I will take responsibility and also decide how they should be disciplined. Um, He offers Asteroid M as a mutant sanctuary. He even extends it to the X-Men if they want to come. Of course, they say no. And we get a cryptic epilogue where Moira Mo- Mattaggart is like, Oh, it's all my fault. And that's where we end. <laughs> so that is a hell of an exercised issue with a lot going on. Setting up lots of new status quo. Um, making Magneto a full-on bad guy again, because remember the last we saw him, he was disappointed with stuff that happened in the Savage Land, and he left Rogue there. Rogue was disappointed. They had started to form a very close friendship, possible relationship, and he's like, no, I can't stand humans. I'm out of here. And so he was definitely grumpy. (laughs) And, And that's part of the thing that Claremont doesn't like, right? Um, he was hoping to keep Magneto as more of a complicated hero who was grapp- grappling with his dark side. 
But part of the reason, and part of what I didn't get as a teenager, because like you said, we had read a little bit of X-Men, but this was really coming in somewhat fresh for us, so I didn't really understand that this really was a reset to status quo in a lot of ways. Um, it's bringing Professor X back. Um, it's resetting up Cyclops as one of the leaders, though Storm gets her team as well. Um, it's making Magneto the main bad guy, which he had not been for a long time. So so while it's more maybe complex, it does kind of reset and kind of give you a, a nostalgic X-Men while also feeling very new. Now... As a kid, I didn't catch the nostalgia. I just got the really new part. But right. uh, but going through the read through, you know, having read, you know, all of X Men back up to this point, you definitely see where it kind of does play on here's some familiarity, but in a brand new, exciting way. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. What what are some things that kind of stuck out to you in this this first issue? I mean. <clears throat> The the bulkiness of it, it's it's such a heavy issue. There's so much going on. I got a lot of uh, some. I made most of my notes. I made about the second one, and so I got. I enjoyed the kind of this idea that, although they get into this more in the second one, but kind of that there's this uh, global fear about what Magneto's going to do. Right. So they have like the secret Magneto protocols. Uh, which I got a kick out of that name, and that it's this this idea of the world leaders all sitting around. What are we going to do about Magneto? And then you have <coughs> this uh, this division of the team to kind of to kind of deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Magneto's an interesting. I mean, he's always an interesting character, anyway. And so it's interesting what you said what you said just then about about Claremont wanting him to remain. Almost like what we see in the as much flack as the movies have gotten, um, as what we've seen kind of in the, the latter four of kind of keeping him more almost as a good guy, but still very messy in so many right. ways. I I always I find that really interesting, but I also like him as a bad guy. So you know it's. <laughs> it's not really a you know a better or worse situation but it's interesting that the way they reset this and all it really takes is these these acolytes who kind of show up and and remind him of what he's what he had been fighting for and remind him of the failure of his vision i also like the the uh the scene where he pulls the submarine out of the, out of the water. I really like, and sometimes they do it a lot, but I, I like when they kind of have Magneto have these moments of clarity where he looks back to his, his early life. Right. And we get in, you get into the Holocaust and all that kind of stuff um, that he kind of goes back and, and remembers the inhumanity of that. And then feels in these moments where he has become the monsters that had haunted him when he was younger, but that's always fascinating at how quickly those moments come and then how quickly they pass. <laughs> right. Like where he has this, the moment he sees all these skeletons and he's like realizing, Oh, these were a bunch of real people that I murdered. And then quickly, never mind, you know, um, which, you know, I, I guess that's how it works, but 
I always find that very fascinating because he's such a deep, complex character. And so I always think it's interesting when they they throw that back and they have him wrestle with these real issues of morality uh, with what he's doing, especially considering the especially the early version of the, the earliest version of kind of the brotherhood version of Magneto where he's, where he's really just a terrorist. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Violence. He's blowing stuff up. It's, it's, you know, it's all mutant supremacy. Um, and then you kind of have him walk back from that. And even in this, even in this, like you said, it's a reset and he's reemerging as a villain, but he doesn't, he doesn't go back to that older way of thinking He's still in that realm of the the more of the gray area of trying to find, trying to get his dream, but believing increasingly that he's he's going to have to be more violent, but still kind of grappling with that. I think that's always really fascinating. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's a very good read of how messy he is in this in this story. Um, yeah, you know, and, and the art, my gosh. Um, you know, that title page, uh, the double-page spread of Magneto in space without his helmet. And he and Jim Lee makes him look great with his helmet. But, you know, kind of the... I'm still old, I have, still have white hair, but I'm I'm pretty handsome and pretty rugged. And, <laughs> um, and that cape, dude, Jim Lee and his cape is... Uh, Pretty special. So him, yeah, him floating in space and the I am Magneto, like, like it really is unfortunate because there's such a synergy, you know, it's weird reading it and knowing that there was tension, but it doesn't come out necessarily in these issues um, because it just seems like everyone's kind of in step between the art and the story and just bonds really well. Um you get that that really lovely X Men spread, um, you know, when when we see them again for the first time, and you know, I like that Cyclops and and Storm are kind of opposite each other with their little like I don't know control consoles or whatever they're doing. Um, yeah. Definitely the two leaders. Um, of course, Jim. I mean, Jim Lee's art is just. Fantastic. Uh, Jean looks great, even with one of my lesser favorite costumes of hers. Um, oh, not as bad as the miniskirt. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. And that one where when Angel drops, or I'm sorry, Archangel drops Colossus and he armors up, like, that looks great. Yeah. Even the sewer looks great. Um, <clears throat> I like the part, I forget what page it's on there's after Magneto tries to kiss Jean even though she's a robot and not all the humor in this works but that the big truck bit I thought was really really great um because yeah. Jean's like I must confess infuriating and arrogant as Gambit can be those eyes that grin the body and takes <laughs> the girl's breath away he's like oh really when next the opportunity presents presents itself, remind me to drop a truck on him. Professor X is like Cyclops, a big truck. Cyclops, a really big truck. Cyclops, he finally yells out loud. It's just it's a nice little bit that was like genuinely funny. I thought, and you know sometimes Claremont's funny is like oh kind of odd, but like I really like 
laughed pretty good at that one. Um, it's funny, and I like that. I thought it was interesting that, that they had Professor X not get it, right? Or, or react like he like he just didn't like he thought Cyclops was being serious. Or, <laughs> right. So it was kind of an interesting. But then you know, the next issue, Professor X has got his own jokes. So right, those yeah. don't work as well. I don't think. Right. When the the panel of Wolverine cutting through the floor, and then he still got like robots like wrapped around his neck. Yeah. And then of course the snake. Like that's a great page. Wolverine's pretty great uh, in this issue. I mean, it's classic Claremont Wolverine. He's rough around the edges, but still, you know, deeply passionate about his teammates. Um, there's a part where Cyclops gets mad at him. He's like, one slip. And Wolverine's like, I don't slip. Yeah. Um, is is great. And then he's kind of, after Cyclops lectures him, he's kind of lights his cigar and runs off. <laughs> um, yeah, I got a kick out of that. You got better things to do. Right. Right. Um, I like that when they're briefing that Wolverine's one of the first to stick up for Magneto. He's like, we've all been branded outlaws. We all have our shadows. This isn't as black and white as everyone wants to make it. Um, So I enjoyed that. Um, Magneto in a sexy bathrobe was pretty great. And he's got like a cummerbund on for some reason. Yeah. (laughs) My layer. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure I was trying to remember because I know we get the word gene joke in the extinction agenda. I feel like flat scan was also introduced there, but they really lean into it here. So if I'm wrong and this is the first time, is that way the first time Magneto seems to hear it? But I feel like it may have been a Genosian thing. I can't remember. Um, I don't, I didn't, it took me a minute to remember that that was a thing. So, well, when it, whether it's here or not, it, it becomes an X Men like uh, verbiage that, that permeates for a while. Yeah. <laughs> At first, I thought for the about for about three panels, I thought it was a code name of a, the person he was talking to. Oh, right, right. Yeah, and I can I see like, that. Oh, yeah. And then I, re- I remembered from later, obviously. But so I don't, yeah, that was kind of interesting. I was confused, speaking of confu- being me being confused, um, the Delgado character, that was the one of the soldiers, and then I guess was a mutant and joined the Acolytes. You know, they don't ever really say. I, so... They so, say that maybe that's what happened, but then they never right. actually find out. And so I, I was I was right. left a little bit confused. Not that I really care that much about that character, but right. So so Delgado's like the leader of Space Force or or of this mission, and he's the one that tries to kill. Or no, he's not the one that tries to kill. He's, yeah, the, one he's, that, he's the one that argues yeah. with Magneto. Um, Magneto kills the that soldier too. That's right, because he makes him shoot himself with his gun. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and then later, Delgado is this, like, hulking mutant. And yeah. so, and they say, well, either he was a mutant who was in Space Force and, you know, was like, oh, well, I guess I don't have to do that anymore. Magneto loves me. Um, 
Magneto saves. Um, or the other option is, or does someone experiment on him and turn him into a mutant, which doesn't seem likely and is weird they even mention it. Well, but, it also says, or it's just a guy with the same name. Oh, right, right, which is incredibly dumb. <laughs> it's a weird, again, it was a weird thing that they even mentioned it. And right. Why we need these three different options laid out in the middle of this action sequence. Right. And I, yeah. Why didn't that, I don't know, to me, I thought it was, I don't know, it's just one of those things where it's like, why didn't they just say, oh, he must have joined them. Right. And that's, all we, that's all we really needed to know. Is where this guy comes <laughs> from. And honestly, we barely even needed to know that. As right. Well, it's been an acolyte that we just hadn't seen yet. Yeah, all these acolytes kind of came out of nowhere. So it's not like it's not like we were uh, really getting introduced to these guys one at a time and needed to know backstories, at least not at the moment. Right. These, it's not, these guys are all new, right? As far as I know. As okay. far as I know, they're all this is their the first appearance. They had been in something before, but I, I don't think so. No, I, I don't think they have. Um, so yeah, um, I, I love the split into the team. You know, now the X Men cast has gotten so big, and we're gonna have two books. I yeah. really like the concept of the blue and gold team. Um, I like that Storm gets to be leader again because she's my favorite X-Men leader uh, probably of all time. So I'm glad that she gets to lead the gold team. Um, we, we won't on the podcast get to follow as many of her adventures because there's no Wolverine doesn't show up in Uncanny as much. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I really enjoy her. I have fond memories of that book and her, her leadership on there. Um, yeah, just more great Jim Lee art. Um, so there's a page here, I think right before Wolverine starts to try to stab at Magneto, he's like, um, maybe words don't matter as much as the heart and soul of the person speaking them, which I really didn't like. Not that Wolverine would not, not go mad and kind of slice at him. I don't really mind that part. But as we mentioned a minute ago, Wolverine was a guy that at the beginning was like, well, hey, everyone's got shadows. Maybe we should give this guy the benefit of the doubt. Then he's the first one to go, I don't care what you say. You're a bad guy. <laughs> and tries yeah. to stab him. Like, I wish I wish one of those things had been different because it seems really inconsistent. Um, well, I I was at first, I, I, I felt the same way. And I was a little confused why why... Wolverine went from defending him. But then later somebody says, I think it's Rogue. It might even be in the next issue, but she says something because he, Magneto's saying, you know, even Wolverine turned against me uh, in this moment. And, and somebody, whoever it was says, well, maybe it was the, all the nuclear missiles you were holding, holding up in the air. And I thought to myself, Okay, that that does make more sense. It's like he's defending him, but then they arrive and he's got all these nukes in the air. And so for a Wolverine character, what is he going to continue to defend the guy who could possibly at any second nuke the whole planet? Or is he going to switch into the other boat and say, well, clearly this guy is not is not uh, good anymore or clearly he's he's doing something very dangerous, whether he's actually going to nuke anybody or not his actions are leading to the possibility of some really dangerous things. 
And so I felt like that, that, that uh, it made more sense that it's like, okay. they get there and they see him with the nukes and it's like, all right, never mind. <laughs> they got <laughs> Right. Time, time to escalate. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I love Jim Lee's optic blast, especially this big one where it's like multicolored. Like you almost have like the – almost like it's two beams becoming one instead of one big beam, which makes sense because that's how it would be, right? right. Um, that was cool. And then that shot of uh, Wolverine and Cyclops coming through the hole in the hole – the hole in the hole – uh, H-O-L-E and the H-U-L-L um, where Cyclops well, first of all Wolverine looks badass but then Cyclops like in shadow except for the dot of his optic blast about to come out like that's a great panel and I don't know if you remember Cameron one of the first issues that I think we both bought when we got back into comics after college was a, a Lionel Francis U cover um of Cyclops and Wolverine like in a sewer. And it was very similar to this image. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, it may not be the cover. Maybe one on the inside. I don't remember. Um, oh, I think I remember that. But I remember maybe, that uh, panel or cover, yeah. whatever it was. But yeah, there's a couple of those similar ones like that. But Yeah. So, but yeah, just some more, some really great fighting. I, I, I really enjoyed. I didn't get it at the time, but uh, having read the, the previous issues, I really enjoyed that Rogue is like really trying hard to like get through to Magneto, and like touch on their their previous friendship and bonding experience. Um, and I love like when Magneto goes back and him kind of sitting in the shadows like that's, and he still has the three claw marks like in his chest. That looks great. And there's a part where Gambit catches a bullet, which is pretty freaking awesome. Um, uh, what else? What else kind of stuck out to you? I like the ac- What do you think of the design of the acolytes? Um, I I like it. Although I don't like the. I'm just trying to find a p- the picture. I don't like the the red V because I feel like not that I want them to have an A on their shirt because I feel like that would be. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is about it that that catches me, but it because I feel like it looks like something else. Uh, but I don't know. I kind of like the even though it kind of looks like football shoulder pads, but I kind of like that. I kind of like that look. The orange, the yellow, and and purple. Or a, you know, interesting color color mix. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's very nineties. <laughs> it is very nineties. That's true. But but it works pretty well. I mean, we did just give Rogue a bomber jacket, so I mean, we're we're embracing full on nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Yeah. I think it looks pretty good. And then we have we have Beast give Wolverine a fastball special. That's pretty cool. Um. Yeah, I also think that Del, the Delgado guy. Every time I kept seeing him, I kept thinking he looks like that, uh, like a Puck from Alpha Flight. Kind of much bigger. Yeah, yeah. Much bigger, obviously, but his face—I mean, just kind of yeah. the head, uh, the thin mustache, beard. Right. 
I kept yeah, I, and so at first, the first time I saw it, I was like, is that Puck? And I was like, oh no, that's this random Delgado character. <laughs> Mr. Mystery Delgado. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny. The other thing that's interesting about this series, and it's not exclusive to this, but but the nineties they really do a lot more with the idea that Forge can invent anything for any reason. And so I feel like the, the tech in this, this era escalates so rapidly. <laughs> Everybody has like so much tech on all the time. And then, and then the bad guys also, even though they don't have Forge, obviously, but the bad guy characters in this, like, like looking at the acolytes right now, like the one girl has the huge headset uh, that uh, uh, Cortez has a whole like little mechanical headset computer thing around his head. And, I don't know. I feel like the, it's an interesting like the, there's a massive tech jump that comes. And I don't know if that's if that's Jim Lee design or if that's kind of a broader thing I, going on across the board. I think it's probably a little bit broader because Liefeld definitely does that as well. Like yeah, all, all the weird antennas and <laughs> maybe it's just uh, a, it's not it's a nineties. That's another thing from the nineties, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Big guns, big headsets, big big shoulder pads. Shout out to John Wilson, all the pouches. Um, yeah. <laughs> um but what about that last Magneto pose? That's pretty good. He, he's uh he's he's a little thicker looking in that one than he is in the other ones, but yeah. I like the uh, I like him. I like his hands. Like what's happening with his hands and the, the cape seems so huge. Uh-huh. And then you got everybody kind of looking up. Yeah, pretty pretty great way to end the issue and very very exciting issue. Um what, any other thoughts on that particular issue before we move to number 2? Um I like I really loved the the back picture. Where the where it has things to come and it's got all. Oh yes, I meant I meant to mention that. Yes, thank you for. Yeah, so it's basically like a little poster, and it's got lots of different things going on. It's got the brood. It's got. Yeah, we have Gambit's wife down in the corner. That's cool. Uh, supposed to be. I can't tell if that's supposed to be a Ghost Rider or it's it's uh, some other. Skull type character. No, I think it's Ghost Rider because we have that crossover coming up pretty quick. Okay. Um, turn a long shot. Um, I think the most interesting thing about this is I would guess that technically speaking, this is the first appearance of Omega Red. Because um, he won't show up in the story until number four. Uh, he's a pretty menacing looking character here in this pinup. Had he not been. In the comics already? Nope. No, he's new to this series. And this series is his debut. So this is the first look we get at him. For some reason, I was thinking he debuted in the uh, in the Wolverine standalone comic. No. No, not yet. No, how about that? Yeah. I, yeah, because uh, there was a while there. I mean, I didn't have to worry about it because we bought it new. But that right. issue four was, was really hard to find for a little bit there. Yeah, he was the hot new villain for a few months. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we have the the Weapon X file folder, which I know gets touched on a little bit in this series. That a lot happens on that in the Wolverine series. Um, 
And I think the lady with the face tattoos has to do with, like, an alternate timeline, maybe? Or maybe that... It looks kind of like Maverick, but Maverick's a dude, so I'm not sure. I'll have to remember. I don't really remember. I thought maybe it was Dazzler at first, but I don't know that she is around anymore, but... For some reason, next to Longshot, my first thought was that it was uh, it was Dazzler. But I mean, not uh, the face tattoos, but oh, you know what? She is. She's uh, she's one of the Genosian soldiers. Uh, okay, that they have that. They have that marking when we see them on the computer screen later. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. All right, well there you go. Random Genosian soldier. Yeah, yeah, and the so, well, um, I am going to give all these the same score. He's going to grade all this at once at the end, or do yours differ? No, mine are all the same. Okay. I mean, if, cool. it, if this was just one big giant book, I would, I mean, it just, it all flows so well together. Yeah, it really does. It really does. All right, cool. We want to jump into number two. All right, so issue two, we basically pick right up with the story. Um, the cover... We start with a, a, a helmetless Magneto standing basically on a pile of X-Men uh, with a bunch of metal, I guess probably metal bars he's wrapped around uh, Charles Xavier. And then I guess that's supposed to be Moira in the back with the arm broken off. But they all look like they've I been... I thought it was Psylocke. But... It looks more like Psylocke, I just thought statue-wise. Oh, but, but they're all statues, so yeah. So everyone's a statue except Xavier, who's got wrapped around. Um, it's a pretty menacing cover. Definitely. I like how uh, powerful Magneto looks, and it's Magneto triumphant, and he stands there like he's almost toying with the X-Men. His hair is blowing in the wind. Right. Yeah. Um, real quick, you know what I forgot to do last time? What's the that? credits. So, and then the same on all these. So, obviously, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee, the main two creative forces. Scott Williams does the inks on these books. Joe Rosas does the colors. And Tom Orjakowski does the letters. But yeah, back to the cover. Um, I like that the statues have, like, broken bits. Like, Wolverine's cow is broken. Cyclops, or Psylocke's missing an arm. Right. Uh, the Cyclops statue is, like, Half submerged and I don't know orange juice. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a fantastic, compelling cover that yes. really makes you think. Okay, wow, <laughs> what's going to happen here? Yeah, especially from the previous cover, which has the whole action and, like you said, shows how powerful Magneto is with them all basically attacking him, and he's just standing there in his little bubble. And then here we see the outcome of that fight, which is him basically turning everybody to stone, which doesn't really happen in the comics. I'm not quite sure the stone thing, but it's cool looking regardless. So Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so then the first page is a giant close-up of Magneto's face in another, again, amazing panel of, of a a grimacing, I don't know, fury, I guess, furyful, what the word, whatever the word for that would be. Furious. Furious, there you go. I don't know why I didn't come up with that. <laughs> uh, furious, uh, uh, Magneto. Um, 
<clears throat> All right, so this one picks up basically they're back in Hammer Bay. Um, Magneto's basically saying the same thing he said on the pre the last panel of the first issue about defending Cortez and the acolytes, uh, who he didn't really authorize to come down here, but feels like he needs to be in charge or he needs to be in charge of their punishment. Anyway, so quick overview. Basically, we have this. Um, as he's talking about this, the Genosians use plastic missiles fired from a plastic helicopter uh, that has really zero effect on uh, Magneto, who then throws a bunch of uh, metal beams through this plastic helicopter. Um, Cortez uh, kisses Psylocke and then causes her. She tries to sneak up behind Cortez, but he... I guess senses her and uh, kisses her, which causes her powers to, he somehow elevates her powers to the maximum, uh, enhances them dramatically. And so she can't basically uh, function. And then she begins hearing all the Genosians who are angry and talking about how much they hate everybody. Um, meanwhile, as that's happening, we fast forward, <clears throat> excuse me, we flash to the UN where we have the Soviet Union and um, China's there, Nick Fury's there, there's a U.S. representative there. It's a collection of different people. I guess it's supposed to be the Security Council, but they don't really say that till later. But then why Nick Fury himself is at the Security Council? It's a very messy version of geopolitics. But <laughs> again, they're talking about um, the Magneto Protocols. I like the, the geopolitics of it all where they have uh, China supporting an appeasement policy, basically wel welcoming Magneto into the, the world of nations. I thought that was kind of an interesting um, position to have the Chinese take as a, as a nation. Um, I also thought it was interesting, and this is a random side note, but that this book came out as the Soviet Union is collapsing. And so it's interesting that we have several talks of the USSR so right. even though possibly by the time this issue actually came out, there was no USSR. <laughs> I thought that was kind of an interesting moment in history that this, this happens to take place in. Right. Um, so anyway, so Psylocke, uh, we go back to, back to Genosha. Psylocke is running. Uh, she can, an angry mob of Genosians find her and they begin trying to beat her. Uh, Beast shows up and scares them all away doing a uh, angry beast routine that he makes a point to say he doesn't normally like to use his, uh, his looks for fear, but in this case it was justified. So drives him away. Um, Gambit then hits Cortez in the back of the head uh, and Psylocke gets away. Magneto then basically is, is winning. He's got uh, cable uh, cable. He's got a uh, cable's dad, cable's dad, Cyclops and Wolverine, uh, tied up with uh, metal bars and everyone's kind of getting knocked around basically as Magneto's yelling stop telling them that the whole world is screaming for mutant blood mutant blood we cannot afford to waste our energies fighting amongst ourselves still trying to make his argument that mutants need to unite against the humans uh, then we fast forward to the X mansion where Forge and Banshee and Professor X are basically talking about what to do They've activated uh, Storm's team, so the gold team is on their way. 
Uh, Charles is going to go look for Moira, who basically disappeared earlier, saying this is all her fault. That was at the very end of the last issue. I don't remember if you mentioned that or not, but she basically says it's her fault and runs off. So Charles is going to go look for her. Uh, Then we go back to Genosha, and we have Rogue still trying to talk some sense into Magneto, talking about, again, the debate that they always have about his his, uh, tactics and what the world wants. And so Psylocke, who now has super enhanced powers, is able to use what Cortez gave her to actually knock Magneto out. And so she, she takes a super, a super psychic knife uh, and hits Magneto in the head and takes him down. For a moment, they think they're going to win, but then the Acolytes show up and a guy named Chrome freezes everybody. I guess he encapsulates them in chrome, but it's not really clear. <laughs> they are shiny like chrome, but he uses the word they're frozen. So I'm not quite sure where, where they what chrome does, but either way, they're frozen. All the X-Men are frozen. And so he takes everybody basically back to um back to uh asteroid M. All right, now they're back on Astro and M. Cortez then reveals to Magneto that he noticed something weird in his DNA, his genetic codes, that they looked like they had been altered, possibly. Uh, Magneto decides he knows who probably did this. So we fast forward back to near the X-Mansion. So Charles has left the X-Mansion itself, and he's at a little house. I guess it's Moira's house off to the side. It's the boat house. Uh, the boat house uh, to talk about to ask her what what she's upset about uh she doesn't really want to say and then magneto shows up and takes the whole house all the way up into space uh and forge says i told him not to leave the mansion <laughs> house goes all the way to the asteroid um at this point magneto basically pressures moira to tell him what happens and she reveals that in um in that storyline back in the defenders where they turned Magneto into a baby, uh, which, you know, there's a whole thing with that, but <clears throat> that was a whole thing they did. They turned him into a baby. They entrusted uh, Moira with the baby's care. And so according to Moira, she noticed a gene in his DNA structure that she believed would make him unstable and would lead to some kind of madness. And I guess it essentially suggests that this is the gene that caused him to go bad. And so she decides to alter that gene, uh, both because it might lead to Magneto not being a bad guy, uh, but also because she thought it might help her son, who we know later uh, goes mad and they have to, I think don't they, they end up killing him, right? Person. Uh, at the time, yeah, yeah, I think he comes of course back. comes back. But, yeah, yeah, but in the moment he he's killed. Um. Anyway, so Magneto doesn't believe that Magneto believes that Charles was part of it. Charles wasn't, as far as we understand. Um. But Magneto doesn't believe it, so he believes his good friend has betrayed him, and so he basically tells Moira she's going to do the same thing to make all the X Men side with Magneto and his uh, and his worldview. 
They didn't really explain how that's going to work or why that makes sense. But somehow uh. <laughs> he encapsulates her in some kind of silver bodysuit. And then she's able to make all of the blue team anyway uh, join forces with uh, with Magneto. Magneto. Um, then we have a side story where we have some Russian guys sneaking out a um, a uh, what looks like a casket, basically with a little Omega symbol on it. Now we know, obviously, this is Omega Red, but in the moment, as you said, this is the first introduction, so you don't know what this is. Uh, but it's a Russian guy basically using the fact that Magneto's knocked out all of the computers in the world to sneak out this, uh, um, again, what turns out to be Omega Red, and sell him to a Japanese guy. That guy double-crosses him and ends up killing all the Russian guys uh, and presumably taking the Omega Red with him, the Matsuo Tsurayaba, that guy. Anyway, so back to Asteroid M. Charles Xavier finds out that the blue team has all decided to join forces with uh, Magneto and that they're going to fight when the gold team gets there. Then we go back to the danger room where the gold team is working hard to come up with a plan to defeat the blue team. But they determine that the blue team plus the Acolytes plus Magneto might just not be possible to defeat them, but maybe they need to try. Nick Fury shows up in a hologram to tell them that what the Russians had fired into space was some giant energy cannon that's going to blow up all of Asteroid M. Um, He believes Nick Fury essentially is against whatever these Magneto protocols are. um, And so thinks it's going to make it all worse. And so he tells the gold team that they should try to get up there and stop it. So, in the last moment, they decide that they're going to go stop it, even if they don't know that they actually can. Yeah. And that's where we end. That is. Yeah. Well, like you mentioned, that first page is flipping awesome. Um, I also love, speaking of Nick Fury, man, Jim Lee has him 90s to the max. Yeah. Uh, there's so many guns and pouches and bandoliers and... The little face, the little face thing that or head yeah. gear that that seems that like seems like lots of characters show up with in the nineties. Yep, yep. Basically, it's a thing where the ears stick out like Captain America, and the face sticks out, but then also the top of the hair sticks out. Right. So it's really you're not even really sure why it's there. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty purposeless. But yeah, man. Or at least to... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I said it looks cool. I said, or at least it did. Right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he even has uh, elbow pads. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, knee pads. He's got elbow pads. He's got yeah. gloves. <laughs> he is uh, full combat ready, decked out, even though presumably he's just hanging out with the security. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Fury is mission ready all the time. (laughs) That's right. You never know. You never know if Shield's going to get activated. And that uh, that panel with Psylocke stabbing Magneto is amazing looking. Um, Yeah. That's some Jim Lee gold right there. Um, She sneaks up with her super psychic knife. So I didn't run down a page number. Now I'm having trouble finding it. There's a place. 
in here where either Magneto compares himself or someone compares him to Cable and X-Force. Yeah. Cyclops says that, talking about how how the X-Men need to adapt because Charles's vision failed. And he says, like Cable and X-Force, I guess how they had adapted. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting because um, I was wondering if it was um, like comparing Claremont, or I'm sorry, Claremont comparing Magneto and the Acolytes to Cable and X-Force. I wonder if that was a little bit of his commentary on his dissatisfaction with the, the direction the X-Books were going, with them being more kind of militaristic and more violent and, you know, kind of your 90s grit. I, yeah, I don't know. It's a good point. So, I don't know. Anyway, just kind of see that. Having, having just watched the documentary, it kind of struck me as, oh, well, this may be more than just a passing reference. This may be a little bit of a, a burn. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that that makes sense, you know, with kind of the the uptick of violence that we see in the 90s in comics, that maybe that's something Claremont, it was, uh, was even more uncomfortable with than we realize. And this was a. Well, or that he just wanted the X-Men to do something different, right? Like he didn't, or maybe he felt like if, if X-Force, instead of being anti-heroes, maybe in his mind they were really villains. It should be different from the like separate from the X Men. I, I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. Or maybe it was a the we're already doing this with X Force. Why do we need to do this with X? <laughs> yeah, or maybe yeah. I'm reading too much into it. And it was just a passing comment to say, "Hey, X Force number one on sale yeah. next week." Um, or the editor was like, "Make sure you mention mention X Force." <laughs> right. Right. Well, Actually, it would have already been out by this issue. Sorry, it came out, I think, the week after number one, X Men number one. But um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I don't, I don't have a whole lot more on this issue. I mean, a lot happens, but yeah. what, what else kind of struck your fancy? Um, I think I I thought the the as I mentioned already, I I got the the geopolitics stuff I found kind of fascinating. Yeah. Uh, sure. It was interesting, especially the the China as the as the appeaser nation. I'm not quite sure how that holds up in the the reality of what was happening in 1991, but it was an interesting uh, interesting position to put in there. Um, I thought that the use of the term and this is going to be nitpicky, and I imagine almost no one's going to care about this, but I thought the use of the term the Great Powers was weird because that's not really a term anybody uses post World War Two. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Cause it wasn't like the superpowers, the great powers, talking about all these different nations. And I don't know. That struck me as as odd and out of place for the time. Okay. That was just an an old reference or if they were trying to I couldn't tell if they were trying to do something with that. Like they that meant something, the fact that they were using that term. But I don't think so. I think they were just trying to say all the big nations. Right, right. But it, it has a specific connotation that, that caught me. Um, <clears throat> I also got a kick out of, and, and not that, as much as I liked it as a teenager and, you know, honestly still kind of like it a little bit, the, uh, the excessive use of the battle thongs that a lot of the, uh, particularly Psylocke have, 
Uh, it really cracks me up because it's it's so pronounced. <laughs> it, it just makes me laugh. It's like Jean yeah. Grey kind of has it, but she's got a whole bodysuit, and so it's more like decorative. Whereas Psylocke, it looks like it really is just a little tiny thong she's fighting in. <laughs> All right. Seems like such a weird thing to throw in there, and, and there's so many. Um, you know, Jim Lee likes he likes his butts that he draws. You know, and there's so many very yeah. situated butt scenes. It makes me uh, makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, and then I think the, my only thing that that I would and not even complain about is not the right word because everything about it is great. But how how what what Moira does to the X Men to get them to side with with uh, Magneto relates to what she did to Magneto as a baby uh, by altering his genetic code. I didn't think that really made any sense and they didn't seem like they really made any effort to kind of explain that. Yeah. That's really the only part of the story that doesn't work for me because the idea is that Magneto feels cheated because him taking maybe a little bit lighter road after he does get aged back up to being a full man um and he does like help xavier and he teaches the new mutants for a while and and all that stuff he questions like well was any of that really my decision like like a lifetime of choices were impacted by this genetic modification and the result of doing it to the x-men is that they just all switch to believe magneto (laughs) <laughs> like, like it's, this, it's this one thing that they so instead of the gene making them you know maybe like if it made Magneto calmer in his mind or that's what he's afraid it did it made him more more stable and less violent so maybe he's like well do the opposite make the X-Men less stable and more violent and that automatically means they all just say oh well yeah we're just going to do what Magneto says versus even like oh well I maybe Cyclops this gene makes him really pissy and he hates everyone, including Magneto. Like, and the fact that everyone just automatically falls in line from genetic modification is, it's almost more like they're mind controlled rather than I switched up a gene. Yeah. Well, and especially the fact that for, for Magneto, this is a permanent thing that has been done to his genetic code. But then for the X-Men, it lasts for like an hour. And well, then, they at least explain that, that part a little bit, but yeah, I mean, they they kind of, I mean, they explain why, but they don't. I guess my point is what what she does to Mag, Magneto is a permanent change to his DNA code, and then they act like she's going to do the same thing to the X Men, but like you said, instead it just makes them all believe him, and then it doesn't even last very long. <laughs> right. So, that doesn't sound like she edited their DNA code. It sounds more like, a, like you just said, like a mind control or a, or I don't know, something like that. Right. I thought that was kind of weird. Um, it's also interesting because it gets at, and whether they intended it this way or not, but it gets at kind of the, one of the central hypocrisies of, of Magneto as a character, which kind of like we said a minute ago, and for the first issue where you have these moments where he kind of has this moral clarity and, and thinks back to the horrific things he experienced, but then often s- sees, oh, I'm doing the same thing, 
but then does them anyway. This is kind of a similar moment where it's like, they've done this horrible thing to me that shouldn't be done to anybody, but let's go ahead and do it to all the X-Men. <laughs> right. And so, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, I, I find that fascinating. And so from that angle, I did like it because it kind of goes with that theme of Magneto of him kind of seeing, <clears throat> having the ability to have that moral clarity, but then still denying it uh, so that he can continue to pursue, you know, violent means or however we want to define what was his transition here. Um, but then, yeah, the, the actual, uh, what she does didn't make a lot of sense. Right. And then why she's covered in a silver suit. I didn't really understand that either. I think it's Magneto's way of, of trying to trap her and force her to do his will. is Because like when he wants her to shut up, he covers up her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess that's so. I guess that. Also, a little sneak peek. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Wildcats book, but very similar to what's going to be uh, Void's design by Jim Lee. The all silver uh, kind of fluid metal suit. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Well, you want to jump to number three? Yeah. All right. Load that issue up. So this cover, I think, is a classic uh, X-Men cover. We have the two teams spying each other. I love the central pose of Colossus-like stiff arming Wolverine above his head, you know, grabbing him by the shirt. Uh, Storm's trying to fry beasts with lightning. Um, yeah, and the maybe slightly too sexy uh, Psylocke pulling Jean's hair. Yeah. <laughs> like, like she's about to um, maybe kiss her or something. But, um, yeah. yeah. I think an intentional uh, yeah. misdirect there. Right. Um, I like that. I feel like Gambit tried to tackle Archangel out of the air, though there's no way he could have approached him from that angle without being sliced to ribbons yeah. <laughs> by his wings. But but overall, I as much as I love the first cover, I think I like this cover as much. Um, all three of these covers are just really really good. Um, I guess is my point. Um, yes. What do you think of this one? Yeah, I mean I. I 100% agree. This uh, this is uh, all three of these covers are, are amazing, and this is absolutely there too. And this one especially because there's so much action. Yeah. With with everybody in there, but you don't have any dead spots, which is that's too strong of a word to use for that first cover. But but anyhow, we kind of talked about how you had this one portion of it where it's kind of like nothing's happening here. Right. Well, also, one of the things we, we didn't mention, I think in, in a way to make the breaks cleaner for the separate covers, there's almost some artificial separation <laughs> between the yeah. groups of characters. Yeah, um, that's a good point, too. So, and, yeah, definitely everything is clustered on this one uh, to fit into one real cover. So it's, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, yeah. All right, so basically the Uncanny or Gold team are stealthily approaching Asteroid M in hopes of avoiding a catastrophic global conflict. I said uh, global powers, uh, to get away from your your world powers, uh, (laughs) to prepare, I'm sorry, to to prepare to shoot Asteroid M with a plasma cannon, question mark. Uh, Does that work? I don't know. Um, we, We find Magneto has 
uh, not subjected Xavier to Moira's behavior modification process so that he can be broken by all this. We also find out that Cortez's healing powers are hurting Magneto. And we'll find out in a minute why. I think we got a hint with his interaction with Psylocke from issue two, but we'll get more detail as we go. Um, of note, uh, particularly for me, um, being a big Gambit fan and Rogue fan, uh, this is our first hint as they st- of their relationship as they start flirting together. Um, as Gene telekinetically draws the glider towards Asteroid M, Wolverine notices their approach with a snicked, and we get a very big misdirect there. Um, the gold team uh, then uses teamwork, actually really effectively, to sneak into uh, Magneto's headquarters and find Xavier, but the blue team and the acolytes find them. There's several pages of really great fighting. Um, the blue team, though, begin to question what they are doing. Magneto and the remaining acolytes show up, Magneto beats up on Xavier until he suddenly collapses, just in the nick of time. Uh, Wolverine and Moira show up, where we find out that Wolverine's snake was really to free her, and Moira explains the genetic modifications don't keep on mutants and actually go away when you use your mutant powers. So it turns out this whole time, Magneto has been responsible for himself. Also, the X-Men can go back to normal. Um, uh, turns out Cortez you know also also Cortez doesn't have healing factors just power amplification powers that leveled Magneto way up and masked his injuries so he wasn't really healing his just powers were working on such a high level he felt like he was healed Um, and also 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 uh, yeah Magneto you may be dying um, <laughs> in the confrontation or in the confusion, Cortez escapes, confronts the uh, plasma cannon guys, and also overrides their system somehow, causing the plasma cannon to fire in hopes of making a martyr out of Magneto. The X-Men escape, but Magneto and his acolytes choose to stay behind. He feels like he can use all of his magnetic power to hold the asteroid together and protect it from another uh, plasma blast. And then also, 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 Claremont basically writes his thesis on the Magneto-Xavier relationship and their respective visions. Like, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's wordy, even for Claremont. But I also thought it was really beautiful. <laughs> um, really spells yeah. out kind of the differences between them, the regrets between them. Um... <clears throat> and yeah, just just the idea that the X Men, even the mission or the vision, feels impossible or too idealistic. It's the effort of pursuing it that is really the dream, uh, which I thought was really really touching and, and lines up with a lot of just my personal convictions about things. That even if things feel out of reach, we should still strive for the ideal. Um, so yeah. But yeah, Claremont is kind of his goodbye basically gives you this is everything I feel about the X-Men like in a couple of pages <laughs> of, yeah. of exposition and here you go. See you later, guys. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, another another doozy with another great title page. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this one because it's there. There's I like the shadowy pose, but it's kind of like a almost like a shadow in the sky. Yeah. With with Magneto, they're all just kind of standing there. I like that. Yeah, it looks it looks great. I like the. I like how the starscape bleeds into the the black space, like on Wolverine's cowl, mm-hmm. or even in Psylocke and Cyclops's uniform a little bit. Um, I like. I actually, it's it's kind of probably blatantly a steal, but I really like the invisible glider stealing from Wonder Woman's invisible jet. I thought yeah. it was very effective. Um, yeah, it's a, a great great page. I agree. I also like Storm's leadership skills. Like, this team is very effective. And I also like just how pot, like when anyone anyone has a doubt, Storm's there to encourage and like build up. She's just she's such a great leader. I really enjoy her as team leader, and we don't get to see that a lot in this book. With the, as the split kind of becomes more more practical after this story arc um, where it really does become like two almost separate teams for a couple of years until they start bleeding back together. Um, but I was, I was glad to see storm just be really, really strong leader um, as, as always a, a, a win for me. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I like, I like that there's a, I like that there's a distinct difference in the leadership styles between Storm and and Scott, and I like that the the beauty of the two books is that we get to see both for right. for a while, you know, and you get to see these two very different ways of of leading X Men. Uh, I and I agree with you. I like I like Storm's better. I mean, I, I like Scott as the leader because you have the tradition there, but I mean, as far as like. If I had to pick who's going to be the leader of my team, I would go with Storm because I think yeah. she's better style. But no one asked me to lead the X Men. But <laughs> all right, um, that's an awesome Shadow Wolverine with the snicked when we think he's going to kill Moira, and he ends up. You know, we find out later freeing her. Um, Amazing up close uh, Magneto shots. Yeah, I did find the the pool scene that shows up in the middle of this, where (laughs) them has a diving board and a swimming pool. Right. And uh, Gambit has some swim trunks, and so why they're swimming in the pool? I thought that was a really funny. Even though, like you said, we kind of have our our early Gambit rogue flirt flirtation moment here. But I just thought it was such a weird, a weird thing to be in the middle of all this. Right. And it's like, let's have a pool party. Well, it's also weird that Rogue, and I'm, I think it's okay because I, we'll get plenty of, of skimpy Rogue, so I'm not, I'm not advocating for that. But, but she's in the pool, and basically she's in her uniform. She just took off her jacket. But Gambit's in the pool, and he's stripped down to, I guess he wears Speedos under his costume all the time, maybe, is what we're... Maybe it's just well, a Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, so he, instead of being, instead of just taking off his trench coat, he gets down and says, hey, everyone, check out, you know that bod Jean Grey was admiring earlier? Well, here it is. <laughs> That's right. 
I also got a kick out of the fact that Rogue seems to be having so much fun jumping off the diving board because it's like she can fly. So (laughs) that's very exciting for her. Right. Right. I also love the Olympic class cannonball joke. Um, It is a weird scene, but there's a lot to like about it. I think. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's important for kind of what's going to happen in the future and, and this uh, character development, but you know, but the nine, you know, the nineties, they really like these, uh, you know, random swimming pool scenes and shower scenes and <laughs> the late eighties, nineties staple in a lot of them. Right. And we're at this, we're around the time of the, uh, the infamous Marvel swimsuit edition. Yeah. Not too far. Just uh, about a year so, and a half or so. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, one one panel. We'll have, to, we'll have to cover that on the podcast. <laughs> I wonder if that's on the Marvel Unlimited app. I is not. <laughs> that's funny. Um, I wonder if I still have that. Oh, uh, you had it. I was always. Didn't I have it? You may have. I was probably too prudish to buy it. I never had one, but um, I probably looked, I probably looked at yours. I don't know. Yeah, right. I don't know how I would have seen it if we didn't have it. Because other than you, we didn't have any other friends that had comics. Yeah, I think you did have. Because I remember sitting up in your room late at night and enjoying that. That that sounded weirder than I wanted it to. I may have to <laughs> take that out. Um, or or leave it in and let everyone be awkward with us. <laughs> right. Sleepover reveals. Right. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so I, I assume that I guess I must have bought it, unless we just looked at it at the comic shop. But I feel like I would—I would not have done that. Yeah, I feel like I was too prudish to have looked. It took. I would sometimes swim through a uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, like a grocery store or something, and it would take me thirty minutes of like walking over, looking at a couple of pages, putting it down so no one saw me, walking around, coming back to it, trying to find a couple other pages, you know. 13-year-old me was not that brave. Yeah. Trying to pretend like you're looking at a different magazine. Right. Yeah, the golf magazine. It was a whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. I'm really interested in this muscle magazine, but oh. (laughs) Uh, You may not tell from my 80-pound physique, but I'm into these muscle mags. (laughs) Right. I also thought uh, another funny panel that jumped out at me, and I don't know if it's supposed to be this, but if you look at the very last panel where they're all kind of sitting there, come on, not the the second to last panel, um, Banshee, there's like a white thing around his head that makes him look like he has a toothache in an old-timey cartoon. (laughs) What what page are you talking about? That's the second to last panel. A second to last panel on which page, though? Uh, the very last page. Oh, the, sorry. The, okay. Yeah, second to last of the whole book. All right. It's like, you know, the, but I think it might be a bandage, but it's a funny thing. Oh. forget? Is this the point in time where he still is injured? Like he can't use his scream? He didn't. He was talking earlier and didn't have a bandage on at any other point. Okay, what happened? All right, something happens because that that becomes a thing. 
Yeah. Well, has a bandage. So they're all bandaged up from the fight. But I don't know why that would right. be. Right. His, like, his mouth gets taped shut or something, though. So yeah. I'm trying to see. I'm pretty sure I'm... it happens in this battle. I don't see him specifically get injured. I don't really even remember him in the battle hardly at all. Right? Because we see him... um, Because him and... Oh! Oh, here it is. Gambit cracks him across the face with a bow staff. Yep, that's that's it. Uh, It like breaks his jaw. So he can't use his powers for a long time. Interesting. I I think it would take like 10 years to heal or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Although I still don't know that the... uh... The bandage wrap around the head makes. <laughs> yeah, that's like a Jacob Marley kind of solution, isn't yeah, it? Right, but maybe so. I guess that, that makes sense that that's why why he has a bandage on his head, but it still looks like an old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my face! He says because he's banshee. Oh, um. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a lot of fighty fight. It's a good fighty fight. Um. Yeah, I know. So, and one thing I wanted to mention a little bit because it's kind of a very different take. I know you don't read uh, current comics, but right now in X Men, uh, Jonathan Hickman is the writer, and he did a big mini series and is now kind of set up the status quo where basically the mutants are their own nation of Krakoa, and there's a whole big thing about like immunity and stuff like that. And it kind of plays as just kind of the geopolitical norm now that, like, in the scene where Sabretooth, like, almost kills someone and the mutants are like, oh, we'll take him home, we'll punish him. And it's like, just like, okay, well, I guess that's how the world works now. And I thought it was really interesting that he, in this story, Magneto does the same thing. He's like, oh, I'll decide how to handle this. And the X-Men are like, no, you can't take the law in your own hands. You're a, that's what makes you a bad guy. Um, yeah. We have to respect, like, other laws, you know, which I, I I find the whole diplomatic immunity thing and extraditing, like, that's all really murky to me on what I think is the right solution. So I won't I won't really have that debate here. But um, I just thought it was interesting how there's a very clear line in this book that him, Magneto taking that step as villainous, whereas in current stories, it's really seen as like, that's just the way the world is. Um, so I just thought it was interesting. I don't know if, if just perspective on on politics has changed that much, or just the the way that heroes work has changed that much in the last 30 years. I'm sure a lot's changed, but anyway, I, for those of you who listen to this and who also read current X-Men, I just, I found a lot of parallels that were treated very differently um, between this and Hawks Fox. So, Interesting. Yeah, probably well, we, doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but wanted to throw it out there. Yeah. We didn't really get into his whole thing about how he would be a nation and all mutants would be citizens of his nation. I meant to, I meant to bring that up because I thought that was also a fascinating uh, addition to this, right? That he just kind of makes this declaration that any mutant in the world is yeah is now a citizen of his of his nation, and that he would protect them both. They would have asylum on his asteroid, but then also would protect them 
security on the earth, which is what you're getting to with the current story. But I, we didn't really talk about it when it got to that, but I thought that was pretty yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it really is. And like you said, uh, an interesting thing that can, can someone impose, impose an external nationhood on people in all over the world, a global nationhood, like everyone is part of this nation now. And then that also translates to me being in charge of them. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, who else would do it? I'm right. the master of magnetism. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's putting out the, 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 the protective element of it, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not a large leap to then go from, protective uh of of them but then to also of controlling of them right that, that the, okay this is the nation and where your loyalty should be first to the mutant nation and that you know that's a whole other kind of a whole nother level of story that that's fascinating and that they'll do stuff right. things like that but i thought that was interesting yeah it, re- it really is and really just adds more to and as much as Magneto is set up, and as much as maybe the intention is to kind of reset him as a villain, I'm not. I'm not really sure they accomplished that. I feel like he just comes out just as complex as Claremont maybe intended. Maybe he doesn't get it exactly the way he wanted it, but like he still, at the end of the day, comes out of here as a very, very complex. You know what parts of him are right, what parts are wrong. Um, you know, character that's just so so fascinating. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, you know, it's funny because this is the the launch of this new X Men team, and, and we can get good character moments from everybody, and we get good action moments from everybody. But I almost feel like like the, the deepest character in this arc is Magneto. Like yeah. he's the one that we see the most of. As far as internal struggles, he has he has the most arc in this story. I mean, it's really a Magneto story, where the X Men trying to figure out how they fit in his in his vision, or how they end up not fitting in his vision, and kind of bringing Professor X back to the forefront. Um, it's just I don't know. It's just it's a really interesting story. It's also very very beautifully drawn and and inked and colored and and just. I, I get it. Like I, I wasn't sure, right? Because I remember this very, very fondly. I was like, okay, well, I haven't read this in a while. I think I read it again the last time I read because I read it probably a hundred times when it came out, and I read it again maybe ten years ago when I was doing some other X Men reading stuff, and I just, I really wondered, like, am I going to like this as much as I did? And I'm curious. Um, I'll let you kind of go first. Did did how did this hold up for you? It held up really well. I I kind of wondered the same thing, just if uh, if the story would be would be dated, or would is there been too much that's happened since? But but no, I I think you know Claremont. I think for a for a goodbye, if the, if we're gonna say this is his goodbye uh, letter to the X Men fandom. I mean, this is about as good as it gets. Yeah. And I think it's a great swan song. Yeah. And I think, like you said, you know, Magneto is the central character, I think, for Claremont because he had, you know, he had done so much with Magneto, turning that character into just a 
somewhat two-dimensional villain, which arguably that's kind of where he starts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This this really deep, complex character. And then I think this, you know, this is Claremont saying, you know, okay, you can reboot the X-Men, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep my brand on Magneto. <laughs> you <know? laughs> like you said, that, that I think that at the end is, this is my whole philosophy X-Men. He puts this out there, but this is, this is how he still wants the X-Men to go forward and not to lose that thread of Magneto as a gray, complicated, <clears throat> difficult character. Right. Um, and and the two visions, right? Really, kind of explaining the visions, but also, also, uh, I don't know, pairing. I don't know. It's, it's and I don't want to. I don't want to say it over and over again too many times, right? But just kind of this, the the way he does this. I don't know. It's such an important part of the X Men universe that the two visions that they have. So much about the X Men is tied up into these these two different visions of how the world should move forward. And uh, anyway, yeah, it, it's yeah. Uh, it definitely held up for yeah. me. I enjoyed it quite a bit. The action was really good, so especially and even like the uh, the the wordiness of it, which sometimes you know when you get these high action comics, that's where I like you said at the beginning, you didn't feel you felt like Jim Lee and Chris Claremont were really in sync, even though behind the scenes it sounds like maybe there was some more tension going on. But for them to take a, an issue, three-issue arc, and pump so much text into it, but then also maintain such a nice, fast pace of action, that that's not that doesn't always work, you know. Sometimes right. the wordiness it, it distracts from the action quite a bit. Uh, but I didn't. I thought they they did a perfect job here going through this. Yeah, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um... Yeah, I thought the art was was pretty fantastic all the way through. Um, you know, it's funny because at the time, you know, and for a long time, I I would say Jim Lee was my favorite artist. Um, he's still on the short list. He's probably not my favorite anymore. But I feel like, at least at this point of his career, this stuff really holds up still. Like, it still looks really good. Um, yeah, it's very dynamic. Um he hasn't gone too sexy yet, <laughs> um, you know, and, and he will. But um, yeah, well, they all will. But yeah, they all will. And, and you see some. Of, I mean, like we talked about, you know, some crotch shots and stuff with Psylocke, and and definitely the booty is there. But um, so there's some of that. But he hasn't he hasn't gone extreme yet. But I mean, his action, and I don't know. And yeah, you can say okay, maybe everyone is a little too handsome or whatever. But it just it looks really good and it it holds up really well. I would just you know, I found myself going through this story kind of re I don't think it's all nostalgia. I think some of it is. Like I, I want to be honest and transparent. I think some of it is nostalgia. But I think also though it just the, the story just reinvigorated. Like I found my excitement building as I went through the story, like in a natural, like I'm just really enjoying this kind of way. Not, not a, Oh, I remember when Gambit threw cards like this or Wolverine with his claw. Like, I don't know. It just, it is a very natural, like exciting story. And there are a couple of things that maybe don't, 
exactly work, but it's like there's so much other stuff to love that you kind of just let it go. Um, yeah. So it's really late. We've been going a while. You wanna you wanna pop some claws on these issues? What you what did you give this story? Um, <clears throat> I think I give it all the way. Yeah, me too. Uh, I went. I I know in my head, like like we talked about, there's a couple of things that are a little odd, but it kind of gets buried in a whole lot of excellent. <laughs> so I'm yeah. I'm going six out of six claws. Yeah, I mean, I think if you if I was going to take anything away from anyone, I might take one away from the third one just because of the. Or not the third one, the second one, just because of the messiness of the the Moira, like what she's really doing, right? But I mean, it doesn't ultimately doesn't matter, and they they kind of explain it, even though I still don't think it fully explains it. They kind of explain it. Well, because mutants, that's why. What's that? Because mutants, that's why. Yeah, because mutants, and so you know, <laughs> but ultimately, it doesn't matter enough. It doesn't really matter enough in the story because the, if the whole story hinged on that one thing, then that might be a problem. But right. one of a whole bunch of amazing things that are happening. So, yeah, for me, six out of six all the way. Awesome. Well, dude, I am so excited to have gotten you back on the show. It's, it's been a while. So thank you for taking the time to, to talk these issues. Um, I'm glad I was able to get back on. Yeah, a whole lot of fun. So, any any closing thoughts before we kind of wrap up and do plugs? Um, no, I don't think so. Just that I'm I'm kind of excited to to follow along a little bit on this uh, on this new series. Awesome. Well, if schedules work out, and I won't I won't nail you down in anything, but I think we can do. If not this whole book, some scattershot issues and kind of cherry pick some stories to to get you back on a little bit if you want yeah, to. So. Especially awesome. once we, once you get eventually one of these days, when you get into that era where I haven't read any of them, I, I'll be really interested to get, yeah, uh, get linked in a little bit more on those. Awesome. Very cool. Well, um, anything you want to talk about? Anything you have going on? <laughs> or do you just want to give your Twitter handle or what? <laughs> Take some time to, to, to pump up Cameron a little bit. Yeah, no, I don't have much going on. I'm just trying to move all my classes online and hiding from COVID. So, yeah, it's <laughs> pretty much all I got going on right now. At Cameron Sinclair, if, uh, if you're interested in looking at my one or two tweets a week. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, um, for the podcast, Go Snicked, uh, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SnickCast. Show notes and stuff at snickcast.podbean.com. I'm going to do, if everything goes according to plan, a little bit of a different episode next time. Um, Normally, are pretty restrictive in our flashback episodes to actually talking about Wolverine stories. Um, Because this was such a big deal, even though Wolverine's not in the other titles that are part of the quote-unquote relaunch, going to have a special guest. Just kind of do very high-level how do we... How do we feel about some of these other issues? So um, hopefully that will come together and it will be really fun. Um, be kind of a little bit different break in our flashback routine. Um, but that will hopefully be next. Um, 
and probably expect a lot of flashback in the near future with the kind of the hold on on no new comics for a while. Um, <laughs> and since I'm all caught up on on covering those issues, um, I'll, I'll try to be pretty aggressive with the flashback schedule and and getting that stuff out. So coming down the pike, we have. We'll have an issue or an episode, sorry, with a bunch of random appearances like Wolverine cameos and stuff. Um, and then we'll start gearing up. Uh, not too far on the horizon will be Wolverine 50. That'll kind of be the next like big thing. So, uh, oh, and Marvel Comics presents number 100. So, so, so that's kind of the different things kind of coming down. So hopefully I'll be able to keep a pretty regular schedule and you know eventually when new books start coming back out after all this of course we'll jump back in with dan and georgie but um i don't know what that timetable is going to look like because i don't really know how how the world is going to go i don't have i don't have that inside track but um anyway again cameron thanks so much for coming back on um it's been been a lot of fun uh catching up on some x-men and wolverine with you so that's going to do it. Till next time, everyone. Hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. Bye. And snacked. <laughs>